Could this be the last page of the chapter of this one? It is! Nishikori falls to the market quarter arena ground in sheer relief. Hello and welcome to the AO Show. I'm James Parkinson. Day four of the 2019 Australian Open and uh, a very humid one in Melbourne with some rain delays, but uh, some great tennis on display too. On today's show, what it's like to be a player driver at the Oz Open. Years ago, I was watching them play tennis and now here they are sitting next to me and I'm driving them around Melbourne. So yeah, it's pretty great. And what it takes to be a chair umpire. Like any job, the more you do it, the more fun you have and the more experiences you get. Plus, we'll check in with the fans around Melbourne Park. But first, we start with the action on Margaret Court Arena, and uh, it was a big one for Japanese tennis. Both Kei Nishikori and Naomi Osaka with wins today. Nishikori in a five-set thriller over Ivo Karlovic. Here's what Nishikori had to say post-match. Yeah, it was a really tight match. Uh, could go both ways, and uh, also the tie-break, the super tie-break could go his way too, so... I don't know how I managed, you know, to to save a couple break points, but um, very happy to win today. You know, I think this means a lot, and uh, yeah, I'm really happy to go through our next round. I felt like first couple sets I was returning really well. I was guessing right and hitting well, but uh, after third set, I think he mixed up really well, and yeah, he was really serving well today. I think even the second serve. Naomi Osaka, on the other hand, had it a little easier given her US Open win last year. The expectations are high, but uh, she says she's not feeling the pressure and is still trying to improve her game. I tend to analyze myself as I play, and I know that I could have made less unforced errors this match. Um, so that's the biggest thing I take away. I think that's the number one thing I want to improve. A lot of people ask me about like how I feel after the US Open, but for me, it feels like a fresh start, and um, I'm just really excited every time I play a match. And she's not the only one. The Japanese support ran in numbers today, backing Osaka and Nishikori, and Tim Solly was right amongst it. Tim Solly down here at Margaret Court Arena. It's day four, and the Japanese fans are rolling in. There's huge excitement in the air. Konnichiwa. Yeah, I'd love to see <laughs> Nishikori and Osaka. Exciting. For the, we can see the Nishikori and the Naomi and the same court in the Margaret Court. If you could sit down and give them some advice, what would you say to them? Must win. <laughs> Fight. Play hard. Gambare. So tell me about this Gambare. What, what does that mean? Fighting spirits. <laughs> what was it like when Naomi won the US Open. That, that's big. I mean, yeah. everyone's so excited. Go, go Naomi, Gambate. Go, 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 go Naomi. It's certainly a fascinating era for Japanese tennis, and there's even a documentary in production about Naomi Osaka. Tim Solly has more with George Mizutani. My name is George Mizutani. I'm from NHK. I'm working as a program director uh, to make uh, Naomi Osaka's uh, documentary. Winning the US Open was really a groundbreaking moment for Naomi. What was the reaction back in Japan at that time? Um, It was crazy. All the television were... um, we're broadcasting all about Naomi Osaka, and people were buying um, same rackets as hers, and it, it, it was phenomenal. Tell me a bit about this documentary that you're making. Uh, does it follow her journey from a, a young child all the way through? We're hoping that we can get through that, uh, the, the stories back uh, in the days when she was a child. Uh, we're, ge- we're getting close to it, so yeah, I think we will be able to cover 
some of her childhood with her family and how she became such a great tennis player. Yeah. What was the moment where she really broke through and became a pro? Mentally, I think she uh, really turned into like a mature player. Last year when she won the, her first title um, in, I think it was uh, the Indian Wells, and that really helped her grow as a uh, tennis player. Kay's always been the most popular one back in Japan, from what I understand. Has, has Naomi surpassed Kay as, as the number one tennis star um, over in Japan? <laughs> That's a good question, yeah. Well, I think, I think she has. Um, obviously, Kay was the icon of tennis in Japan before Naomi started winning all those tournaments. But um, people back in Japan also see her as the top star of Japanese tennis. What is it that you found most interesting about Naomi's journey? Her relationship between her team, especially with uh, her coach, uh, Sasha. They really have, uh, they really communicate to, uh, to each other during the, uh, their practices and off, even off the courts. And um, they seem to really um, create a, a good team. So her choice of picking Sasha as a coach really uh, made her change in a way in a good way as a tennis player back in japan how big is tennis how many people back in japan will be watching the australian open a lot of people watch it uh this tournament everyone has the interest into naomi right now so i mean the tv ratings go way up when naomi's playing so that, that i mean that shows how she's popular well all the best with the documentary it's been fascinating chat and um have a great summer of tennis thank you thank you very much Time now to catch up with the AO Radio team, and today's talking point was all around the new tiebreak rules implemented at this year's Oz Open. If you're not quite sure how it all works, here's a little explainer with Bridget DeClos, Richard Evans, and Matt Cronin. Australia, of course, have made a move this year to make a tiebreaker that goes to 10 when the final set is six apiece. But this is different, I believe, to everywhere else, every other Grand Slam. We've got to be very careful with the terminology. Let me just set the scene for you. For those who don't follow the politics of the game, the Grand Slams are their own entities. They're sort of affiliated to the ITF, but they do exactly what What they they want. want. Each one does what it wants. They're nothing to do with the ATP Tour, although they do share the ranking system with them. And so when we started to get these fifth sets that went on and on and on, quite apart from the John Isner, Nicholas Mahout. (laughs) 7.68 in the games in the fifth set after 11 hours over three days. Absolutely absurd. It'll never happen again. But now everybody's making their own rules as to when the fifth set should finish. Mm. And uh, at at Australia, it is 6-6. And at Wimbledon, it's going to be 12-12. And at the US Open, it's 6-6. And the French are going to let it run. As we know for the moment, they could change that. But Australia's completely different, aren't they? Because 6-6, then you go the first to 10. We were talking about games. Yes. Now let's talk about the tiebreak. Tiebreak, yep. When it arrives, whenever it arrives. And the Australians are out of step with the others in Mm. that because you get the tiebreak finishes at 10 it's the first to 10 yeah by two points the wimbledon and u.s open tie breaks are the first to seven with two point margin now i'm sure everybody's absolutely followed all that <laughs> i'm sure they'll be like and, and matt, matt can clarify it I'll all say for it's us six six and you're going to win it on 10 unless it's tied <laughs> but forever matt, the, p- the players must get very confused going from one grand slam to another because it's new 
Yeah. It's really hard. It'll, it t- it'll take a couple of years, I would say. Really. Because well, you can remember forever, then it gets changed, and you'll say, "What? That's not the same thing, is it?" Yeah, yeah. But the, this one—that'll uh, happen with the same thing at Wimbledon, mm, by the way, too. Mm. Right what about the, the Australian 12. system going to ten in the tiebreak itself? Not so, a bad idea, actually. Not a bad idea. Do you think yeah, it's working? That, that's okay. Well, to go up to ten, it isn't. My, it isn't horrible. How about that? Okay, <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> if that's that good or bad. Right? Not exactly. horrible. Okay. Well, it is causing a little bit of. Uh, uh, well, it's causing confusion for me. Hopefully, the players can can work their way around it. So far on the show, we've met uh, a whole range of people with different jobs at the Australian Open, but uh, I reckon one of the best jobs is being a player driver. Linda Britton is one of them, and uh, in her six years working at the AO, she has some great stories to tell. My name's Linda Britton, and I'm one of the drivers in the Kia cars. Linda, lovely to meet you. What, what, what do these drivers do here at the Open? Well, we go and pick players up, and we pick coaches up, and families. We can be picking them up from the airport, the hotels, taking them to practice matches, into the games, home again after the event, and things like that. So, yeah, dri- driving lots of different people around. How do you get involved in this? Like, what was the process in becoming a driver here at the Australian Open? I've been here six years now, so I went through the process of just having an interview six years ago. Uh, that year, they actually only had five new drivers, so I was pretty lucky, I think, to, to be asked. And then each year now, when we finish, provided we've done nothing terrible, we get invited back the following year. So tell us about an average day. What does an average day look like for you, Linda? You get here in the morning and tell us how it un- unfolds for the day. So this morning I actually started at 6.30 and so we come in and we get given some car keys and a two-way radio and we go and find our car, uh, check the car over once, hop in, check there's petrol in it and get a docket for our first person and off we go and uh, drive somewhere out into the city, out into the suburbs, pick our first guest up and bring them back into Melbourne Park. So I guess the big question on everyone's lips is, are you designated certain players? Are you responsible for a specific number or is it just randomly selected each time? Pretty much randomly selected. You actually just get given a docket. So when you arrive in the morning, you'll get given a docket and it could be for anybody or anyone at any time. Uh, Generally, you've got a good amount of time to get to that first destination. You'll pick your player up and you'll bring them back in and then you'll get given another docket and it'll have another player's name on and then off you go again. And so the process goes on. Sometimes you might drop them out at a training facility. So we'll call in on our radio and let them know that we're free now out somewhere else and they may have a drive for us nearer to there rather than having to return back to to Melbourne Park. Tell us about some of the players you've picked up over the years. Who who are the stars that have have jumped in Linda's wagon? Um, I've been pretty lucky actually. I've had the biggest name probably last year. I had Rod Laver. So we'll start with him at the top and I've had Ken Rosewell. I'm I'm a bit of old school so we'll go. I've had Andre Agassi, uh, Martina Hingis, Ivan Lendl, but I've also had um, Simona Halep, Andy Murray, Venus Williams. Yeah, so I've been very, very lucky over the years. I mean, what's it like to sit in the car with these guys? Is it, is it really, do you have to pinch yourself sometimes? Yeah, you, you've kind of got to think, don't even think about this at the moment. Think about this later on. Just get them there safely because, yeah, I'm just a, a middle-aged lady doing a normal job for the other 49 weeks of the year and then suddenly for three weeks of the year, you, you, you're sort of, you are, you're rubbing shoulders with, with these people that you think, wow, that's amazing. Years ago I was watching them play tennis and now here they are sitting next to me and I'm driving them around Melbourne. So, yeah, it's pretty great. Linda drives safe this tournament and uh, it's been a fantastic chat. Lovely. Thank you so much, Tim, and it's an absolute pleasure. 
I'm going to name a tennis player and the first thing that comes to your mind, all right? Roger Federer. Um, won a lot of matches. The best. Hunk. Hot. Go. Brilliant. The legend of all times. Uh, Novak Djokovic. Serbian. Dad's favourite player. Second goat. Uh, I didn't like him at first, but I've come around. Prankster. Rafael Nadal. Ah, I love Rafa. Left arm. Awesome. Bicep. Uh, wedgie picker. Wedgie picker. Loves a wedgie. What about Alex Dimonor? Don't know who that is. Ah, uh, yes, yes, good player. Serena Williams. Ah, uh, she's good fun. Oh, absolute legend. Woman of the game. She's amazing. Maria Sharapova. Classy. Screamer. Angelique Kerber. Uh, who? No idea. Yeah, who's that? Yeah, I like her. Winner. Ah, oh, guys, that's about enough for me. Have a great summer Thanks, tennis. Tim. Thanks very much. On you, Timmy. Thanks, mate. Thanks again to Tim Solly, the man around the grounds at Melbourne Park. Lastly today, the chair umpires have perhaps the most challenging job in tennis. Jeff Field spoke to umpire Emma Walter to learn more. How do you become a chair umpire at a major event? Because I'm sure one morning you just didn't wake up and say, I'm going to be a chair umpire at uh, the Australian (laughs) Open. Yeah, no, true. It wasn't something I just woke up and decided to do. But um, we're really lucky here in Australia. Tennis Australia has a fantastic education system. So most of us all started off as line umpires. So we all turned up at our local tennis club doing a local tournament. I'm from Canberra, for example. So many moons ago, I turned up to a tournament and they said, would you like to be a line umpire? And I said, oh, that sounds pretty cool. What do I need to do? And they said, well, basically call the ball in or call the ball out and I was like oh I think I could do that so that's where it all started and through Tennis Australia we have lots of education and courses that you can take and like any job the more you do it the more fun you have and the more experiences you get and someone one day said why don't you climb up that chair and and give it a go and I said well hang on it's not just about balls in or out I have to call score and I have I think there's some rules I need to know so once again really supportive environment kind of went to a school I guess would be the best description and just went out and worked lots of local tournaments and I think that's the best start is working working our local events and then more you do the more opportunities you get to work um, up to professional level so we have a fantastic pro tour circuit here in Australia so we get to work with professional players and then I guess you just keep learning and keep plugging along and then fantastic being in Australia we have an opportunity to come here at the Australian Open. It it is quite amazing I've got to ask you the question though how was that feeling when you first jumped up in the chair you must have been so nervous. Look, to be honest, I don't really remember because I was so nervous. Absolutely. I think you sort of like sometimes just imagine all these things going wrong and actually then you realise, no, it's, you know, we have good procedures. We have, you know, we, we have good lessons and, and we have rules that we can follow. And if you just take baby steps, step by step, it actually isn't as scary as it, as it once seemed. <laughs> How do you manage to keep your eyes on on the players and the action and all the rest? I know sometimes you think we need more than just two eyes, really. It's quite interesting. We actually have techniques um, as a chair umpire to make sure we're checking that when the server's about to serve, we're checking to make sure the receiver's ready and the ball kids are in position and all the line umpires and the court's ready. And part of our, I guess, scanning of the court to make sure everything's ready, we also look for people outside the court. As you mentioned, the coaches are, are one example, just to make sure we're observing what what's happening because the biggest challenge is one noticing it and then once you notice it then you have procedures and rules in place um, and ways to then 
to address that with the players directly. Thanks so much for your time and have a great uh, Australian Open. Any chance you might get the final? Oh, I don't know. I think you're going to have to talk to people further out the food chain than me. But I'm enjoying every day being part of this great event. <laughs> great, Emma. Thanks for your time. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Lovely to talk, Jeff. And that's all from Melbourne Park for day four. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you tomorrow for day five.